I know some of you well enough to know that some of you are in love with organization. Some of you get really excited to walk into a container store, right? You just look around, you see just all of the options or for boxes and files and ways to kind of store stuff away. And I can appreciate that. Um, when I was a kid, the thing I remembered in high school was my CD collection. Uh, my CD collection was alphabetical by artist's name and then chronological by releases by the artist, right? And so this is the only way to do it because, you know, you want to go from early U2 to late U2 and be able to pick out like what era you want. So it has to be chronological within that artist's name. And we just, some of us are that way. That's the way our brain works. We like to put things into containers. Uh, I personally, I love tackle boxes. I don't fish, but the idea of a tackle box is exciting, that you have all these little boxes where everything goes. The reality for many of us is we run our lives that way as well. We have cubbies that different parts of our life fit in, and we like to keep them in that cubby. We don't like them to get separated, right? Uh, maybe you have a cubby for your work life, right? And your work... Some of us really want work to start when we punch in and to stop when we clock out. This is uh, something hard for many people our age as we get into the workplace because maybe our parents or grandparents had jobs like that where you checked in and checked out. But now we have work emails going to our phones and we have all these other issues like work doesn't easily separate from life. And so we talk more about work-life balance than work-life separation. Um, sometimes we have uh, our social life and our friends, and those are a different category altogether, and we maybe act different socially than we would act anywhere else. Then you have your church life and what it's like here, and maybe that is a little bit separated and segregated from everything else. Some of us have a school life where we operate and go uh, into class and all those kinds of things. And it can jar us when there is a division between these things, or when these things mix, Right? Have you ever uh, been on Facebook and you see someone who is a friend in high school and they are friends with someone you know from your first job? And you're like, those people aren't allowed to know each other. That is a high school friend. That's a work friend. How do they know? Why am I not involved in them knowing each other? How do they know that I'm not involved in this, right? Like I should be the center of those things. And so we get this feeling that our world should be really separate and put apart. And some of us go about this in a whole lot of ways. Some of us are very careful that the things we do here in church, we take and we fold and we put into our church box and we carefully put them on the shelf and then go and open up our work box. Because what kind of chaos would ensue? If you acted at work like you do at church, or if you had the friend, I mean, some of your friends may not like you as much if you act the way there as you act at work, right? So we have all these boxes and we store stuff away. Um, this summer, we've been working through the book of James and kind of the practicality of how we live out our faith. What does it look like to live faith every day? And the last passage in James is going to fuss at us about our boxes, that these distinct places are not the way God made us to function. And it's going to probably frustrate us because it's going to be countercultural to some degree. That box thing is something our culture kind of speaks to us, right? Your faith is fine. Just leave it at church. Don't put it other places. You know, like this isn't, but James says, no, no, no. 
We're going to get it all out and we're going to connect it in a lot of places. And so um, James is going to say that spirituality box that you have by itself in the corner that you like lock up every Sunday, that is a box that's got to be opened up to all the other parts of your life. Uh, James chapter 5, verse 13. If anyone among you is in trouble, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with uh, oil in the name of the Lord. So James just, you know, starts talking about everyday life stuff. And he goes, hey, are some of you guys doing well? Awesome. You should sing songs of praise. Are you upset? Are you frustrated? Are you sad? You should bring that to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You should deal with this as a group. You should share what's happening in your life. Your emotions need to come to God. Uh, the reality for a lot of us, and I think some of this is cultural to New England too, is we really like stoic spirituality. Some of you may like this church because you're not really asked to get too excited or too sad, right? There are other churches in the neighborhood or around us, you know, that get a little more pumped, right? And be jumping up and down and hands in the air and all that kind of stuff. And there's other churches where you see people just like bawling in the pews. And for some of us, we're like, no, thank you. I would like my church to be tear free. I am very happy to just sit there and hear the sermon and be, yes, that's very fine and walk away, right? Because many of us are not comfortable with our emotional life being part of our spiritual life. And what happens in that is when we get angry, we get frustrated, kind of like Cassie was talking about, we don't pray about it. When we're overwhelmed with sadness, we don't talk to God about it. Our prayer life dies. And frankly, when we're really happy, we don't talk about it either because we're happy. What do we need to talk to God for, right? And James says, that is not the way this thing works. Your spirituality, your relationship with God needs to be laced in with everything. So when you're having a good time, have a good time with God. And when you're having a bad time, have a bad time with God. And some of this has been like a, a sense of sanctity that we've kind of overdone in the church. Where if you're too excited, well, God doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to see you happy, right? Or when you're really angry at God, you just don't talk to God because he can't take your frustration apparently. And James says that's not the way this works. You should always be ready to bring those emotional highs and lows to God. Because that makes a difference. And not only that, but he also says, you know, bring other people in. If these are things that you're worried about, let other people pray for you. That when you pray together, it makes a difference. James talks about this old practice of anointing heads with oil. Um, this isn't, it's not necessarily medicinal. Like they, they didn't think the oil fixed diseases. But it's just the anointing is just a way of showing God's care and concern for somebody. Um, some, some elders still do this. I knew elders in college that had little vials of olive oil on their keychain that they would take with them so that they could pour it on their heads. Uh, we were talking last night. We don't have elders, per se, at this church, but there is a reason we have a leadership team, and that one of those jobs is to pray for you. And so if you're ever in this spot and you want someone to pray over you, um, Preston and Alana, Afran, myself, Jordan, those five people are kind of our leadership team. Those are the people to go to if you need help. Those are people who have said, yes, I will pray for you. Hopefully we would all pray for each other, but some of you are like, I do not want to be come to with prayer issues, right? But those five have stood up and said, yeah, we want to be there for you if you need that. All right, keep them going. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Uh, this is where James starts to really meddle for some of us. Because not only do some of us not like to express emotion in our spirituality, but we definitely like it to remain a private issue. We've been really trained, you know, and sometimes we really spiritualize this like, oh, my relationship with God is just about me and God. I don't need anybody else to have a good relationship with God. To which Jesus would say, baloney. I have not come. Um, I, 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 the... Um, there's this uh, song, I've not come for only you, but for a people to pursue. You cannot care for me with no regard for her. If you love me, you love the church. Right? We are meant to do community. Jesus did not come to save individuals. Jesus came to save a community. And so we want to do this thing. We want to isolate. And then things really hurt or are really difficult or there's some sin issue in our life that we want to deal with, something we, don't, we do that we don't want to, we don't want to do anymore. We don't want to share that with anybody. I am happy to make that my own business. And James comes in and goes, listen, that drawer you've got that's, uh, you know, your personal spiritual junk, that drawer needs to be shared with other people. And that really is hard. We don't, um, we don't like that. I don't like that because that is difficult. But he says there's a reason for this, and that's that when you work in community, things are better. Right? Have you ever tried to build a barn by yourself? It is a poor idea, okay? It's very difficult. And James would tell us, your spiritual life is like this. Pray for one another. Share the things going on in your lives. Because when you share it with other people, it's less of a weight. It's less of a burden. You can accomplish things together that you can't accomplish separate. And some of that is because of the nature of prayer. He says prayer is powerful. Right? There's just something explosive about when we come to God and we ask for things. And there's this sense, and I don't totally get it, that when more people are praying than less people, God goes, oh, there's more of them. That must be a big deal. Right? And so God acts. James says that when you do this together, the prayers of, pow of people are powerful and they're effective and they change the world. This is something we really have to ask ourselves if we believe. Some of us pray very empty prayers because we don't think that it makes a difference, right? That prayer is just us talking to a wall. And James says, when you pray, it makes a difference. And what's really cool is when you start sharing these things, you start hearing these awesome stories about, yeah, I know, I prayed for this once and it was amazing what God did. And someone else goes, yeah, I had a situation like that. And you start telling of God's deeds and the things that God has done in prayer. And people start opening up about that and being a little more honest. And all of a sudden, a bunch of people that thought they were crazy for, was God really involved in that? You start seeing a pattern of the way God works in his church. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this prayer thing is real. There's so much of these things that are difficult for us to buy, things that are difficult for us to believe and to have faith about. That when we experience community and we share it in community, we say, oh, no, we have an experience together as a church. Sometimes when people say, you know, what evidence do you have that this stuff works this way? I'm like, well, I have billions of people over 2,000 years who have all said that, yeah, this is how this thing works. There is the shared experience of the church of the way God works in prayer. Um, but we don't do it, okay? Here's what we likely do instead. And let's be honest for a minute. Uh, we instead love the masquerade ball. And church is often the best masquerade ball ever. 
hey, how are you doing today? I'm fine. Right? I know people well enough, not just you specific people, but I know people well enough to know in this very room there is intense heartache. There are sins that we just can't get past that we'd like to get past. There are hurts from our past and what people have done to us. There is guilt for the things that we have done. That All of that stuff is sitting in many of us today. And one of our goals today is to get through the day without ever sharing a peep of that because that would make us very uncomfortable. And I'll be honest, I'm that guy too, right? I know there's a couple in my brain. They're not coming out in the middle of this sermon. I mean, I don't know if it'd be appropriate for them to anyway, but it's, we all have it. We've got this stuff that we don't want to share. And James says, if you pray together, you will be healed. If you will have the guts to open up the drawer and pour the stuff on the floor and say, this is who I am, this is what I'm dealing with, prayer and the church exists to help you heal from that instead of festering inside with that stuff. And it's not easy and we don't like it, but we have to ask if we believe our culture and we believe the way we're raised and we believe that emotion in us or if we're going to believe God's word, right? This is a very old school kind of preacher line, but who, who do you believe? When you have those things, you're like, I don't know if I can share that. And James goes, no, it's good for you. Are you going to believe you or are you going to believe James? And I know many days I believe me, okay? I'm not casting um, aspersions on those of you that feel that way because I feel that way a lot. But it's a challenge to us that James says, are you willing to share these things with other people? Uh, verse 17, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Uh, he immediately goes to a Hebrew Bible example, the prophet Elijah. If you guys don't know the story, it's a lot of fun. Elijah is one of the most brash, arrogant, smack-talking prophets in all of the uh, Hebrew Bible. Right? Like this, he's, he's the Muhammad Ali of prophets, okay? He just goes out there and just says whatever he feels like, and then God backs him up. Sometimes I feel like God's like, really, Elijah? You're going to paint me in that corner? But this is the guy he is. And Elijah served during a time there's a great drought. And the way the Bible describes it is he's fighting with this king about idolatry. And he goes, you're going to fix your idolatry or it's not going to rain. And the king goes, nope, we're going to keep on worshiping Baal. He goes, fine, no rain. And so he prays and he goes, God, don't let it rain anymore. And the story is that God doesn't let it rain for a very long time. There's a severe drought and famine. And eventually there's um, this contest. There's fire and people slashing themselves with swords, all kinds of fun stuff. And at the end of it, um, the king is humbled and Elijah prays and rain comes. Now, here's what we do with that story. Well, that's Elijah. It's the Hebrew Bible. It's a fantastic story. There's fire coming from heaven. This has nothing to do with me. And James says, Elijah is a person and was a person just like you. Okay, like we do this with Jesus too. Like we're like, well, Jesus did this. And we're like, well, he's Jesus. Right? Like this idea that if it's a Bible character, they have no application to your life. Because you're a normal, you know, um, pipsqueak. And they are these great, holy, wonderful people that God used as great heroes. And James directly attacks that logic. He goes, you are just the same. You're a human being that puts your pants on the same way that Elijah does. And if he could pray and stop the rain and pray and put the rain back on, he probably didn't wear pants like we did. Yeah, I know. So I thought about that as soon as it came off. Oh. <laughs> but, you know, like, it was just, 
I mean, he's the same kind of guy that we are. James says he's like you. So look at his story and believe the prayer can do stuff. Um, finishing up the section. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. Uh, this is the last verse of the book. It's really weird. James didn't say, all right, been nice talking to you. See you later. There's no closing. There's no farewell. Paul usually does that. He has a closing to his letters where he says goodbye. James is like, nope, finishing with this. Mike, drop him off the stage, right? This is all that he gives us. And he ends it with this idea that is, again, meddling with our baskets, right? Um, he is saying to us, You've got to be ready to have hard conversations. One of the least things that we want to do is to get in anyone's face about what they are or aren't doing with their faith, right? The last thing we want to hear is, you know, I just noticed lately that it just really seems like you've been skipping church a lot. I don't know if that's good for you. I'm worried about you. Oh, don't bother me with that stuff, Right? Or if you're feeling that, if you see somebody that seems like it's starting to creep into some destructive behavior, you're like, I'm not going to confront them about that. Who am I to do that? That's going to be really awkward. What if there's something I don't know? I don't want to have that conversation, right? We get like really tense about it. And James says there is something really beautiful if there is somebody who is wandering away from Christ and you're able to bring them back. But that is a level of connectedness and willingness to talk to people that some of us don't have. Some of us don't have that in our own families, right? If we had a sibling that was acting this way, we wouldn't dare talk to our sibling about it, much less some guy that sits next to us in a pew. But James says, that's the problem with your boxes. You need to take all this stuff and just mix it together, okay? You can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs, right? Part of this life together is life together. And the longer you keep trying to keep it separated and do it on your own, it's not going to work. And ultimately what can happen is people will wander away from this stuff and nobody will love them enough to say, I'm worried about you. And James says, you got to start mixing the baskets. You got to put those things um, together. Uh, I'm going to just real quick, we're finishing up. This is the last bit of James. I know it feels really abrupt. He doesn't, you know, like I said, there's no, there's no send off. He just ends his book like that. But I want to go through some of the things that James talked about. We talked about this, this series was about uh, the practicality of faith. And here are the things that James tells us we need to have to live our faith every day. I started out by talking about how challenges make us stronger. That when things are hard, that is good because it preps you for other harder things down the road. Um, he said that sometimes you shoot yourself in the foot. Sometimes the suffering that you are dealing with is because you're an idiot. And it just helps to accept that and to realize that sometimes this, this isn't God's fault. It is your fault because God gives good gifts. And if you're experiencing something bad, it's not because God sent it your way. Um, then he said, trust God's wisdom other than your own. You think you know what you're doing, but you don't know what you're doing. There are all kinds of things when you're younger that sound like good ideas that aren't good ideas when you get older. Trust God's wisdom the same way you need to trust your parents' wisdom a lot of times in life. Uh, then we talked about the poor. He says, treat the poor with kindness and respect. Treat them as people. This is part of being a godly person. I then talked about how faith leads us to overcome fear. 
that particularly, and this is connected to the poverty thing. If you want to make the world a better place, just go do it. Don't sit around too afraid to act. Um, he talked about watching our mouths, that if you talk and you're not careful, you will get yourself in trouble because your mouth is the best way to get yourself into, a, into trouble. Uh, godly wisdom is better than earthly wisdom. There was a lot this week about helping other people succeed and bringing other people with you instead of stabbing other people in the back and trying to, you know, get to um, kind of the cutthroat corporate philosophy that some of us are sometimes taught. I talked about how it's necessary to repent, that there is times in our life where we realize I've done something wrong and I need to stand up and say, I messed up and be willing to change and willing to listen to when people tell us about those things. Um, he said that it's really important to trust God and not to be a functional atheist, right? We talked about making plans and oh, I'm going to do this on this day and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And you plan out your life and you never ask God what God wants. And so he says, as you look at your life and as you're trying to map out the future, do it in a way that uh, brings God into it. I uh, talked about acknowledging the dangers of wealth and that wealth can get you in big trouble and that money is not generally a neutral thing moral, um, when it comes to morality. And finally, he said, be patient. Change is slow. Sometimes things don't get fixed as quickly as we like them to. But then he finishes it with this idea of do it together. Uh, in all this stuff, do it together. We've talked about some happy things in this book. Do the happy stuff together and with God. And we've talked about some difficult things. Do the difficult things together and with God. Because if you're living your life in such a way where God and your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ have no access to your difficulty, then there's nowhere to go. There's no way to deal with those things. And so James says, take the baskets, pour them out on the floor, and be willing to share with your God and with your friends what's going on because it is too heavy a burden to live everyday life by yourself. All right. We are done with the book of James. This is the last question and answer. If you have some things that you would like to ask about today's sermon or the book or anything else, this is your last chance to ask. I will not answer any more questions on James after today. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, this is it. So do you have any questions about today's lesson or anything else? Yeah. That's really, so that's interesting. It's not a connection I had made, but I think you, you, you've hit on something that's really helpful. When we're confessing our sins with one another, that is the best way to kill that gossipy, nasty kind of undercurrent of rumors that happens, right? Like if, if there's somebody that's really struggling with something, uh, this is why um, like celebrities and politicians, the best thing they can do when they have a scandal is to get out front of it, right? Like once it comes clear that they've done something they shouldn't do, they need to get up there, do a press conference. I am deeply saddened by my own actions. I'm sorry. I did this and I did this and I did this and I should be better. And usually as a public, we go, oh, okay. If they say nothing about it, we kill them on the media for months on end, right? But this is, there's some truth to that in life that, you know, the, the getting yourself in trouble with how you talk about other people would be lessened if we were just honest with who we are. And instead of all the whispers about, oh, I heard this, I heard this, you know, it's just being honest and, and, and being upfront with that stuff. Yeah, it's, um, it's really too bad. I mean, have you ever had this moment where you're looking at something, you're like, wow, this is really a blessing. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I used to pray about this a lot, 
right? Like you had something that you were really worried about and you prayed, 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 and then you maybe even forgot it. And then God blesses you and fixes the situation. And it's, it's just human nature. We're like, oh, wow, this is fixed now. And God's got to be like, come on, you fussed at me for so long about it. How did you not like recognize what I've done? And so, yeah, it, sometimes journaling and writing these things down is really a helpful way to say, oh, okay, those things did work out. Um, and over life, you get this accumulated experience where you just don't freak out about stuff as much because you're like, oh, no, that was that was okay. Like that, that worked out before and I, it'll work out next time, you know. Any other questions? <laughs>